Welcome to Follow Your Curiosity, where we explore the inner workings of the creative process. I'm your host, Nancy Norbeck. My guest this week is Catherine Malick, an actor, writer, and coach. Catherine started focusing on acting and writing as a young adult, studying with apprentices of Lee Strasberg before taking the leap into playwriting. We talked about those early experiences, the ways acting is viewed in our society as performance on demand or as people who just pretend for a living, and the truth of what goes into good acting, and how she uses her acting skills as a coach. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Catherine Malick. So Catherine, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Nancy. Really excited to be here. So I am curious to know how you got started on your creative journey. Was it stuff that you did as a kid or something you found later on? Or tell me the story. Well, that's interesting because I would naturally answer you with, well, it was as a teenager and an adult. But really, if I look back to my childhood, the way I played was all about creating and creating stories. Everything I did as a child was like an adventure. And I think it really began then. Um, I started out as a child in ballet lessons. So I love to, you know, um, put on shows, ballet shows. And of course, as a little six-year-old, even putting on the makeup, the costumes and, you know, and having our ballet teachers create these stories that we danced, um, uh, as well as playing piano. I feel like uh, a musical journey as well, creating stories with music. So I think it was always there, but it was really much more as an adult that I embraced it. And I think I recognized it then. So what was the moment that led you to say, oh, hey, I should pay more attention to this? Hmm. I don't know if it was one moment in particular. I feel it was more of a case of me being okay with uh, being truthful and honest about this creative side of me. It was something I felt more in a strange way, almost ashamed of as a child. I mean, all the other kids at school and here's me, if they saw me out and I had my hair in a bun, I was sort of embarrassed. Like I was this little bun head <laughs> and I didn't tell anyone. I mean, I didn't even tell a lot of my friends unless they found out that I couldn't go to an event because I had to go to ballet class. Um, same with playing piano. Um, it wasn't something that I, I uh, belted out and said to everyone, hey, guess what I do? I kept it all really hidden. And I think it was in my later years, um, I, uh, I did a brief spint, uh, a stint in modeling um, and decided very quickly that was not for me. Uh, it wasn't the right energy. It wasn't the right, it wasn't the creativity for mm -hmm. me, at least the way my, my soul and my spirit wanted. So it was when I found acting and writing that that's when it all started to come together for me. And it still even took some time after that for me to own it, so you know, to own that that was my thing. So did you find acting and writing at the same time? No, it was acting first. I really uh, dove into that and it was after a few years. And yet, even when I, when I first studied, I went to New York, went to Lee Strasberg and studied there. And even when I uh, was studying, I remember taking an extra class where there was a play right there. And I was like, why not? It's extra credit, I'll take it. And I remember meeting this playwright and, and I was really intrigued, but had no idea that I wanted to write. I think it was a fear thinking, well, he's a playwright, I can't do that. 
And it was a few years after that. It was after seeing a play one evening and discussing with a friend later saying, you know, I'm really curious what would happen to that character if they continued on that journey? What happens next for that person? And the friend said, well, I think you want to write something. And I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> and they're like, yes, you do. <laughs> and I'm like, but I don't, I don't want to continue the story. And they go, well, no, maybe there's something else you want to write. And I was like, uh, maybe. So from there, I actually took on the dare and went, okay, maybe I'll write something. That's fascinating that it was a dare. Mm-hmm. Isn't it interesting how people sometimes know more about us than we've figured out ourselves? I mean, because obviously your friend was right onto something. Absolutely. Um, and interesting enough, I really like that. I like a challenge. And so even though it was frightening, I thought, well, why not? Like, I'll, I'll try it. I'll try it. So how did your first writing experience go? Um, it was interesting. <laughs> I actually worked with a coach. Uh, I hired a writing coach. So to keep me on track and to sort of help me um, guide the story. And we put like a completion date. We also, when I would start performing it, when I'd start touring it, like we laid everything out. And I still remember the day that we laid it all out, like just the planning of everything. And I, I just, I think I felt frozen, like I couldn't move. Like it's almost like my legs didn't want to move. Um, but as we took each step and I'd write each part and then go into revisions and then going into workshopping it, um, I felt better and better. The more I actually involved a team around me, that's what really helped. That's interesting too, because so many people start out just sitting there with pen and paper or keyboard all on their own. So how did you come up with the idea to, to work with a coach right away then? I had already been working with a life coach who was a life coach and healer. Ah. So, and, and that was before, I mean, I didn't know what a life coach was or what a healer was at that point. I was this young student who just a friend introduced me to this person. I said, that sounds really interesting. Sure. Sign me up. And it was because of that, because I knew um, from that experience about organizing, taking steps, being held accountable. So that was really important for me. That's fascinating. I'll bet if you did a survey, you would not find too many people who had just jumped in from that angle. I, I feel I was really fortunate. I really feel like it's like if there was angels or anyone watching over me, I really feel I was divinely guided because left to my own at that point, I think I would have been much too afraid and it would have, the story wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Fear definitely gets in the way, especially fear Absolutely. of the blank page. Oh, <laughs> so much so much so, so much so. And I mean, I started my, my journey. It was interesting. I mean, I started doing the initial, just jotting down characters and a little bit of it. I went with this, um, the life coach healer. We went on a journey to Hawaii and it was ceremonies and swimming with dolphins. And that's where I started writing just the very beginnings of it. And so for me, um, that helped a lot, just getting it started um, and being in another mm-hmm. place. I think being away, stepping away from my own home, I think that helped a lot. Yeah, I was just going to ask you if if being in a different setting made a difference. Oh, it did. It did. Because there's something, and especially being in Hawaii, it was uh, quite magical. And the energy there is very different. And 
I just felt um, really inspired to just create, to write, as well as with a group of other women. So we'd have talks because I mean, the play I was writing was about women and sexuality and um, about being a woman and about being in power. So of course, sitting around having conversations was a bonus for me that I could be like, oh, interesting. Oh, okay. It was really helpful. I bet. I mean, and, and that, like, even not knowing anything more specific about your play than that, that those are, are weighty topics to delve into. And if you have a willing group of people to talk to, that can go in all sorts of unexpected and, and no doubt inspiring directions. Absolutely. It really um, opened my mind, my writing, my heart. Um, from that, I actually continued because it inspired me to speak to more women. So I interviewed 20 more women. Like I would go in and record an interview and what was happening? Cause I just had, you know, a, a page or two of questions that I was asking everyone the same questions. And I was from all areas of life. I was asking these questions and it was interesting at that time because some of the stories that were shared with me, I mean, it, these were kind of more like healing sessions because for a few of the women, it was a case where they afterwards were saying like, I've never told anyone this mm. before. So I felt really honored um, to, to receive these stories, to be there, uh, to listen, to be the, the first person that they could open their hearts to and release some of these stories. God, that's amazing. Mm, it, it really, it really was like, I, at the time I knew it was special and kind of magical, but it's more so now looking back at how incredible, really what a gift it was. So did that have a, a huge influence on your story or was it more of a nuanced influence? Oh, it had a huge influence on my story. Um, one of the uh, characters in the story um, experiences rape. And um, when, when you discover a bit of her background, um, you know, there is some of that in her childhood too. And that was not something that I had experienced. While I could tap into the energy of that, I believe by talking to a few of the women and actually that was, uh, you know, so opening for me to know that there was a few, quite a few that I spoke to that had experienced that. So um, that in itself was something, but also to sit in the energy uh, when they're explaining it and talking about how they felt. Mm -hmm. For me, um, that was really important because I don't know if I would have um, had the writing and the own my own intuition about it, um, to write at write it as well as they explained it to me and sitting in that energy like that feeling of it of what that what that energy is to go through that and what it feels like afterwards yeah because that's something you don't want to just make up and get wrong but also you know to to be entrusted with those stories is it's almost like a sacred trust to sort of say I'm going to hear what you have to say, and I'm going to honor your experience by 
representing this as accurately as possible so that other people understand. That's huge. Absolutely. I mean, I felt extremely honored. Um, I, the, the only thing I can add to that is that I know that the women that I did speak with all felt very safe with me and they felt very honored. Um, while I'm a healer today and a spiritual teacher and coach, um, I wasn't yet then, um, but I guess there was the inklings of that, of honoring when someone shares a story in that, um, the sacredness of it and the confidentiality. Uh, you know, everyone who spoke with me, I assured them that no one would ever know whose story I was sharing. They were gonna be all mixed together and pieces put together, as well as their names would never be released. And I would never personally ever speak to anyone about the stories, like giving names mm -hmm. to the stories. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. So before we get too far away from the acting, I want to go back there a little bit and then I want to, you know, see how they intertwine if they do. But you mentioned that you studied with Lee Strasberg, which must have been quite an experience. Um, I studied at Lee Strasberg in New York. Uh, he was no longer alive okay. when I studied, but I studied with his direct disciples. <laughs> so uh, as well, I had um, an open library to go to videos of him teaching. I could watch hours and hours of him teaching. Um, of course, in the day when he was teaching, uh, you'd like they'd pan into the audience and it's like every big star was sitting in his audience with their sunglasses, smoking their cigarette. <laughs> it was pretty incredible. Like the, all, it was star studded and it was pretty amazing. And of course, now when I attended, now he had passed away and it's his disciples teaching. Um, it wasn't star studded so much so, but it was, there was this um, professionalism and this integrity that they had to uphold uh, because these were students that were, his very close students who are now uh, taking on the legacy of teaching his work. So was it intimidating to be studying with them or was it more of like a, wow, I finally get to do this and the whole world's opening up or was it somewhere in between? Um, for me, it was exciting. It was more about the whole world is opening up. I really loved it. Um, like I, I practically lived at the school when I was there. Uh, I would take extra classes, I would hang out. I was always, I was kind of a bit of a teacher's pet, always sitting near the teachers. Now, the interesting thing, um, you know, a lot of it, the method, and as well as um, a lot of the style is a lot of emotion. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a there's an exercise that they do at the beginning of class, which is relaxation and getting into contact with yourself. And of course, there's going to be emotions, you're just opening that up. And for me, um, not knowing at the time that I was an empath, emotions were like, like I just have to breathe. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think that's why there was such a connection to some of my instructors that like, okay, let's try this. Okay, let's try this. And, you know, because I was young, I wasn't blocking uh, anything. Uh, for a lot of empaths and for a lot of people, as we get a little bit older, we want to sometimes hone some of that in or close some of that down. But at that time, I felt really safe with these uh, instructors. They were, they were really encouraging. They were inspiring. Um, and so I would just, I was wide open. And I was told by a dear, dear instructor, her name was Hope. 
what a beautiful mm. name. <laughs> I really, really admired her. And um, she pulled me aside one day and just said, you know, this emotions so beautiful for the stage, horrible for life. <laughs> and I was like, what do you, what do you, what do you mean? <laughs> I didn't, I didn't quite, you know, understand, but uh, I did after it took a few years. And then I was like, oh, I know what she means now. Yeah. Is that vulnerability? Yeah. That's interesting because I've, I haven't thought about it that way, but that's a serious point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned that you started writing the play as like an elective in school, or at least that you took the elective. I don't know if that's where the, where the play came from, but so did you have it produced in the school at all? Or, you know, did that overlap? No, uh, the, the, the class, the elective that I took, and I wish I could remember the name of the playwright. If I, if I went through my bookshelf and sort of pulling out New York playwrights, I'd probably figure out who it was, but he was quite well-known. Like he had done quite a few plays. Um, I remember just sitting in and I, it, was an, it was an extra class for me and I was just kind of observing it. So it wasn't in that class at all. It would have been lovely had I began that play uh, there and had that support of the school. Um, instead, it was when I was back home and it was at a spiritual retreat where it came up. It was like during a meditation that where it came up for me and here's this, you know, this 20 something, you know, we're all some, and I'm around all these women. And what came out of me that day was like, women were, were, were not in touch with our bodies. Um, sexuality is kind of distanced. Um, like I had all these questions that came up that day that were just like coming through me. So when I did begin writing, you know, maybe it was a year later, even it's, I connected it back to that time. And it was the questions that I had that I was, that were ruminating me. Now in between that year, I'd also gone to travel in Europe. So I had a little inspiration that happened while I was there. So here I am traveling around Europe nice Canadian here, just traveling around with my little backpack, you know, all polite and dressed, you know, just so, and, you know, kind of like every other Canadian, you know, wearing the uniform, whatever was, whatever was in style, of course, I'm going to wear and match just everyone Mm -hmm. else. So I'm walking around and I notice in the different countries that women are like, especially uh, and it was in France that I really noticed it, that they each had their unique style. Like it wasn't, we're all wearing the same jeans and the same top and the same haircut. It was so different. And no matter what, I noticed each woman, like, like to me, what I perceived and energetically what I was picking up on, they're walking around with such pride and like, like, like they really enjoy themselves. Like there was this different sense of being in the body and loving it. And that each uniqueness is special. And I, I, I didn't have words for it at the time. I, I was observing this and I didn't know what it was. And at first I was intrigued and then it was sort of um, frustrating me. Like there was something like, what's going on here? And I know what it was that eventually it came down to like, who gave them permission to do this? Mm. Like, it was kind of this kind of thought like that, like how strange, like, and then, I, and then it dawned on me and like, they gave themselves permission. So it was really uh, a, a, an opening 
an opening time. Like my mind just kind of went, whoa, like what's going on here? It was pretty incredible. So I think it was the combination of what had happened in the spiritual retreat, um, what happened in Europe when I was traveling. Like it was sort of a melding of all that information together. And the interesting thing was, was when I was in Europe, I took a trip when I was in Spain. I was in Barcelona and I took a trip up to the mountain to go see the Black Madonna. It just sounded like an interesting, intriguing thing. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go up and see this Black Madonna. Now, a year later, when I was writing the play, I wasn't even thinking about the visit to the Black Madonna. Um, I ended up calling the play Embracing the Black Madonna. <laughs> And I had I'd kind of forgotten about the trip I'd taken up to see the Black Madonna because I wasn't really paying attention. I didn't know what that was at that time, really. I wasn't that interested, but it all came sort of full circle. <laughs> That's always interesting. It's like they say, you know, everything is material. Even if you're not conscious of it, everything is material. Mm-hmm. But I'm fascinated by your your insight about who gave these women permission to do something different and embody themselves. And, you know, not just because, you know, part of me is sitting there thinking, yeah, that's definitely the acting training, noticing all of that, because it wouldn't necessarily have to be, but I'm sure that it accentuated it. But also just because it's, it's such a different cultural value, too. And it makes me think about, you know, how, certainly not as much on this side of the Atlantic as it used to be, but still we tend to put everybody into boxes and certainly women get put into boxes and women of color get put into smaller boxes. And, and we even put the men into boxes, even though, you know, they're different boxes, right? They're allowed to be powerful, but they're not allowed to have emotions. And that has its own horror stories to go with it. But you know, to it, it just feels so liberating even hearing you tell the story of seeing them. And then you think, why do we do this to ourselves? You know, what, where does this come from and what are we doing wrong? Because it obviously just doesn't have to be that way. And yet, as a society, we seem to have a certain degree of, well, that's all right with us. So, you know, we'll, we'll just keep doing this. Probably balanced with we don't really want to do this anymore, but we can't figure out how to stop. I agree. I agree a hundred percent that even if underneath it all, somewhere deep down in the subconscious, there's a desire to not do this anymore. I feel like it's just like, Oh, let's not disrupt. Let's just keep going. It, it, it really is such a difference, you know, putting into the boxes because I know how I felt after a while, after I, I've been traveling for a few months, and how different I felt walking through the streets. And then when I returned home, it didn't take more than about three days for that to just go away. And I don't, you know, if it was a case of energy expanding, and then it's like I came home and it was like, mm-hmm. and the energy shrunk, right? And it's like, okay, now I've got to be in the side this little square and just do this thing. It was interesting. Yeah, because we do, we kind of regain our original dimensions despite wherever we may have been because we just know that, well, that was fun while I was in another country, but now I have to come back to the the normal that 
I wonder sometimes if it's the normal that we think everyone expects of us, or if it's the normal that we think we expect from ourselves. Mm, that's interesting. Because I know I've definitely, you know, gone on on trips where I knew I wanted to go by myself because I didn't want to have to worry about conforming to a friend's idea of who I was, you know, in a totally different environment. Like, nope, I'm doing this on my own. But then you come back and you're still around all of those people. And it, it does make me wonder. It's like, do they really expect that? Or do I just think that they expect that? And I have to fit what I think they expect. And I'm not sure how you really find out the answer without asking the question and having them say, what are you even talking about? <laughs> but, True. you know. True. I wonder if it does come down to that whole giving ourselves permission. Mm -hmm. Like, I wonder if it really is that. I mean, it, it's different for everybody. Everyone's situation is different. But I know in my own situation, um, from the friends that I have, they're used to me um, being quite whimsical <laughs> and that I, I find things really interesting. And I'm like, I'm going to go do this because I think that's fascinating. And my friends tend to be like, okay, that's what it, what is it? What are you talking? I don't even know what that word means. They'll ask me whatever it is I want to do. And they seem uh, quite accepting of it. And it's because I'm accepting of it. That's, that's what I think at this point, it's because I'm really thrilled and passionate about it. And the way I approach it is I'm doing this like right away. I'm just so excited. Um, I imagine if I approach some things with a tentativeness and questioned, then there might be a different response. I'm sure there would be. And, and I love, you know, it's just thinking like this show is called follow your curiosity, but there's a whole lot of merit in the idea of following your excitement too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, and I almost feel like, well, for me, my curiosity and my excitement are hand mm -hmm. in hand. I mean, that's exactly what it is for me. I, I, when I discover new things or if there's something I want to find out about or something, an experience that I need to know what that is all about, uh, it's definitely exciting. Yeah, certainly there's a lot of overlap there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's two, two good pieces of advice that really go hand in hand. So... I know when, when we talked on Clubhouse when we met a couple of weeks ago, you had mentioned, and, and this was part of a larger conversation that I don't remember exactly how we got there, but you had mentioned, you know, how people respond to the idea when they find out that you're an actor and the crazy things that they say to you. And I'm wondering if you could recap that a little bit for everybody here. Sure. <laughs> oh, this is interesting. Ask, ask, you know, actors and a lot of them will share this. I'm sure there must be some comedic YouTube videos about this. And I'm sure a lot of my friends would just die laughing at some of this. And it's, it's just, it's true. It's reality. Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll start with one of my instructors who is quite a fine actress who's, you know, a body of work that is incredible. And she was at a holiday party one evening and she met someone, you know, a friend of the host, let's say. And this person happened to be 
they were either a lawyer or a dentist. And so they said to, um, once they found out uh, that she was this actress, I mean, they maybe didn't know who she was or what she had done. Um, they asked her and said, well, did you go to school for that? Did you train for that? And on her side, I mean, it was, it was probably an innocent question, but depending what she was asked that night and how much, you know, uh, people have asked her about things, she came back with, um, what is it that you do? And then, you know, it was dentist or lawyer. Well, did you go to school for that? <laughs> it, was very, it, was, it was a little facetious. Like, I don't know if I would have done that one. But, but the thing is, I mean, I've heard all sorts of responses. I mean, some of them are endearing. Um, I remember being on a, a, a plane one time, I forget where I was going. And the person beside me got talking to me. And when I shared what I do, um, it came up, it was, it was beautiful. They just said, oh, I always wanted to be an actor. And I said, well, why don't you do it? Well, I've got my job and it pays really well. And I'm like, well, it's, it's, it's a choice, right? right? Like if you really wanted to, so, well, I was really good in high school. I used to act. And I mean, it was interesting. It's like, it, it opened up for that person, a trip down memory lane and uh, something, something was happening for that person. Um, now for others, right away, it's, um, oh, so you're an actor. So um, you get to play all the time. You don't work at all, do you? And so that was interesting. Uh, I, I was actually told that one time and I said, um, I couldn't even answer. I said, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm like on vacation all the time. And I just, I, I couldn't even, I couldn't even speak. So I, I was polite and just said, yeah, that's right. I mean, maybe they didn't realize that actors work really hard. Um, not only many actors have a job that they're working on the side, but they're constantly studying and training with their coaches and running around to auditions. And I can remember many a night being up till three in the morning, I'm in my bathtub with learning lines and going through a scene for the next morning that's at like eight in the morning. And it's not like we're given weeks to prepare. Often it's like a quick turnaround. And then you might have two more places that you're stopping into to audition that day. So you've got those other pages and you're trying to navigate that and you're going from Uber to Uber to get to each place on time. Um, you know, it's, it's not the laxness that or the the holiday I think that sometimes um, maybe the the glamorous ideas can be uh, it's not really that um, you know other things that have been said have been uh, well what do you really do oh and I like uh, that's that that that's that's what I do uh, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> I, I want to take that other answer and turn it into oh so you're a dentist what do you really do yeah, yeah. Well, actually, that's something I have used. Um, you know, uh, I take pieces of things to actually put them together for great responses. Um, when someone will say to me, and I'm not kidding, it'll happen in an Uber, because, you know, I'll, let's say I'm an Uber, and they're asking me where I'm going, and they, they notice, they're like, hey, I know what this place is, that's a casting. And I'm like, yeah, it is. Oh, okay. So, um, so you're gonna, you're, are you like casting? Are you an actor? I'm like, no, I'm an actor. And then they'll say to me, okay, well act something for me. Cause you're a trained puppy. For me, it's like trained seal. And I, and I, and I let people know like, no, 
like maybe some actors feel like, you know, breaking out in song or they, you know, maybe they're at a party and they feel like doing that. But if I'm sitting in an Uber or I'm somewhere, you know, I'm not, I'm, you know, maybe I'm at a dinner party and so suddenly they figure it out and someone wants me to put on a show, which has happened. Um, they've asked me, you know, can you, can you, you have that show that you did? Why don't you perform some of it for us right now? And I'm like, no, I, I no, I'm having dinner and no, I'm good. Um, it's interesting because in that same vein, um, you know, when you meet a dentist, um, let's say at a dinner party, I wouldn't say, well, maybe someone does do it to them. I hope not, but I wouldn't say, Hey, can you, can you, ha, huh? like, let me open my mouth. Can you just, uh, can you show me what you do? Could you like check out my teeth for me? I mean, it might happen for them, but generally I hope people are more respectful and just let them be and just go, Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Or ask them questions about what they love about what they do. You know? Right. I mean, I know, you know, you hear about doctors and lawyers going to a party and always getting asked for advice about things. But, you know, it's a whole different thing to say, oh, hey, put on a show for me right now with no preparation and no idea that I was going to ask because, you know, and probably no pay because I just think that that would be fun. And aren't you here to perform for everybody? No. 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 No, <laughs> no. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, uh, a lot of things like that, um, you know, um, someone meeting an actor generally will say, oh, so that means you're a waiter. Oh, it's automatically assumed. Um, and while it's true that some actors and actresses do work in restaurants, many work in like an incredible amount of fields, like so many different types of work that you would have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's stereotype and then there's reality and it, you know, I, I come back from, from all of these stories. I mean, the, the first one, the person on the plane really kind of makes me want to cry, right? Because who told you that you couldn't do this thing that you loved, even if you really like your job that pays you well. There's still community theater. And these days, you know, anybody who has a phone can make a movie. Who told you you couldn't do that anymore? Mm -hmm. You know, did you just decide that that part of you could die? And what has that done to you? You know, I mean, that feels like potential heartbreak in there to me, you mm. know, and and then the the whole idea that you know i i've known people who when we would talk about different actors or whatever would say they get paid to pretend and it's just uh -huh. it's so dismissive right because i mean like what you were talking about before you'd go to class and you'd have to relax and you'd have to learn how to bring these things up and not block them and how to move and how to hit your mark and how to audition. And, and it's also a field where if you're earning all of your money that way, you never know what the next job is going to be. You might know the next one, but you don't necessarily know the one after that. It could be, you know, you do five things in a row and then you've got three months or longer where you have nothing, you know, that's phenomenally stressful. But I think the other thing that people don't appreciate about actors in particular, especially and it's funny because I don't think this happens so much with writers. I think people understand that writers have to understand people in order to construct characters that ring true, that have any depth, you know, whatever. 
and and you know we elevate writing as this I'm going to sit alone in my cold, lonely garret in poverty, and I'm going to write this classic, wonderful masterpiece, which we don't really do with actors unless they're, you know, a handful of particular actors. But there is so much overlap between what you do as a writer and what you do as an actor, because you need to understand so many of the same things in order to make it work. If you don't understand how people work, you know, it's probably as close as you can get to, you know, psychology without actually crossing that line. You know, I mean, there's a reason why, you know, Harold Bloom has that book called Shakespeare, The Invention of the Human, because Shakespeare got so much of human nature and put it down. And, you know, he was doing both. He was writing and he was acting. And, you know, that that's a lot more than a lot of people get. A lot of people don't even understand themselves, much less anybody else. And to sit there and say, oh, you just get paid to pretend like you're five and you're playing with your action figures is just so phenomenally off base. Mm -hmm. it, well, it's an oversimplification and not true. Mm -hmm. um, there's so much more depth to it than that. And it is also true that many people will enjoy an actor's work whether it be film or theater, um, and they're enjoying it because that character that the actor is playing can access those real universal Shakespearean emotions. So then the person in the audience can safely sense it and feel it with them, but they don't have to be the ones right then. You know, it can be that, that moment and in the darkened room that they can sort of go through it, but the actor's living it and breathing it for them. I think that's such an important point. You talk about safely experiencing it. Like when you read a good novel, watch a good movie, go to a good play, yeah, you you get to experience all of those parts of yourself that you may not want to admit that you have in a way that is distanced enough that it feels safe. And that's a big part of why these things have such an impact on us, even if we don't understand that that's how it's hitting us. You know, we may be able to point to five or six other reasons, and that one just completely flies over our heads, depending on how self-aware we are. And that's a huge gift. And it shouldn't be something that gets relegated to, you get paid to pretend. What's your real job? Yeah, well... You know, the way I see it now, I mean, there was a point in time where I actually, if I was at an event or something where I didn't know a lot of the people, I just wouldn't um, hand over the fact of what I do, you know, so we just moved past that so I wouldn't get those remarks. And I think it also came from a place of really standing in what I do and being proud of it, I think that makes a difference energetically to how people respond. And also knowing that if someone responds in that way, carry on, <laughs> you know, because there are many people, you know, that really appreciate going to theater, going to films. And that thing that you were, you were sharing about how a person who's watching may also come up with a, a you know a, an aha a truth about something in themselves that they had never even thought of but it's because that character and they're like whoa 
that's me. Like it just hits them in the mm -hmm. heart. And it can be the same way with uh, looking at someone's art, their painting, or same with a, a story that they're reading. You know, any of the arts, uh, someone can recognize themselves in it. And it can be a really big moment for them to discover something, whereas on their own, they might not have, or maybe didn't want to admit it, or didn't have the words or the language for it. So I think yeah. that's really important to to uh, know that there there are quite a few people who have that respect, you know, people that respect, you know, the ballet dancers, the artists, the actors, there's so many that are just like, wow, mm -hmm. you know, that really are in awe of it. And then there's going to be some that will say, oh, so you just, you just play, you just play and you're on vacation and you're pretending, <laughs> you know, the, the other one I'll have to say too is um, people saying to me, uh, are you acting? And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm standing here talking to you. <laughs> like this, this is like, I'm trying to convince them. This is me. Like, I'm just talking right now. I'm not like, does it seem like, I mean, can you, can, I mean, can you tell, I mean, can you like check in with yourself? What do you, what do you sense here? I'm, I'm just standing here talking. I'm ordering a, you know, a Frappuccino here at Starbucks and this is me. Um, I'm not acting. <laughs> I, I just want my Frappuccino. Thank you. <laughs> what a curious thing to say. I mean, I have to wonder where that comes from. You know, I, I mean, are they afraid that that someone who's an actor is just going to be playing a part perpetually and they will never know the real person? And if so, what is that saying about them? Mm -hmm. You know, because a lot of these comments also really come back to that. You know, it's like when you were saying being strong in your security and yourself, I think that's super wise. And I think that, you know, that does project a certain energy that is almost unassailable. I mean, there are people who would still go after you, but a lot of people would just be like, wow, I can't flummox her. So I'm going to stop trying. And, and really, you know, a lot of those responses is like, what, what does that say about you? that you expect someone to perform like a trained seal, that your first question is, did you go to school for that? You know, or do you make any money at that? Because, uh, you know, what's your day job? Because obviously you must be a waiter. I mean, that, I almost wonder, you know, some of them must actually be jealous and not admitting it to themselves. Probably not everybody, but some of them have to be. Absolutely. There's an intrigue about it. I think it's uh, the, the curiosity, the intrigue about it. And, and there could be that jealousy, perhaps like the gentleman beside me on the plane who divulged to me that I always wanted to be an actor, you know? So his came out um, in that curiosity and that admiration mm -hmm. and that love that he felt when he was in high school for it. So that was, you know, evoked in him, but someone else, it may make them angry and perhaps jealous, thinking like, like it might be a case of, well, why do you get to do this? I wasn't allowed to, maybe I was told I couldn't and I had to go do this instead. So there might be some anger, animosity, some jealousy uh, and not being allowed to do what they wanted. That's one, one particular you know, idea of maybe what's going on. There could be a lot more going on that I don't even know. Yeah, I mean, you can't know for sure unless they're willing to delve into it with you. And probably that's the last thing you really want to do in those moments. <laughs> but, but it also seems to me that a fair bit of it must be, you know, reflecting their own insecurity, you know, like I haven't figured out how to respect myself and you're somebody I can definitely not respect to make myself feel better about it. So I'm going to ask this ridiculous question 
about whether you make any money or, you know, okay, just act something for me. Like, what, what even does that mean? What do you, even if I were willing, what would you want me to do? That question is just so unanswerable in any reasonable way. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, you know, whatever the reason behind it, I don't know, but all I know is on the receiving end that I'm at choice and my choice when I'm presented with that is, uh, no, thank you. Yeah. Do not engage. <laughs> I'm good. Thanks. Do not engage. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you know, it is, it is a real sore spot for a lot of actors. Yeah. I mean, how could it not be? Because nobody wants to be lumped in with a stereotype, you know, mm-hmm. whether you're an actor or a dentist. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, I have heard several times that, and, and I feel bad because I feel like we're picking on dentists here, which is not our intent, but, you know, I've heard several times over the years that dentists have the highest suicide rate of any profession. I wouldn't say to someone I just met who told me that they were a dentist, oh, do you struggle with suicidal thoughts? You know, I mean, just, there's, there's a way to be a person. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think sometimes people forget that, yeah. that humanness and just to you know be kind (laughs) yeah just treat people the way you would want to be treated should Mm -hmm. not be this hard Mm -hmm. absolutely really should absolutely so take a lesson everybody (laughs) yeah I think there's something in um our socialization sometimes there's some bumps in there that haven't been smoothed out yes and that can be for all of us. I mean, it's not to say that I haven't ever said something maybe that, you know, someone else didn't appreciate. I mean, I, I'm hoping I didn't. Right. I always try to lead with kindness and empathy of like, if I was that person, how would I, you know, how mm-hmm. would I feel? So Yeah. And I, I think that's a good point too. It's very easy to make the offhand comment, not realizing how it comes across. And, and just as I'm thinking about it, it occurs to me that really, the safest thing and also the thing that probably will get the most interesting results is just to say, oh, that's really interesting. Tell me more about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. That would, you know, for anybody, uh, no matter what it is you do in life, that's a, that's a really open-ended and very positive response. Yeah. And it totally lets the other person go in whatever direction they feel comfortable with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I really like that. That would be, you know, if in an ideal world, yes. in an ideal world, that would be lovely to receive something like yeah. that. In the ideal world, we hope to keep building. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I'm curious because I know now you, in addition to acting and writing, you also work with empaths, and I have to think that there's overlap there too because of all of the emotional side of acting and the human nature people understanding side. So I'm curious to know how it is that you ended up moving in that direction as well. Well, I was always moving in that direction behind the scenes. Uh, It really makes sense when I look at the first play that I write is about, you know, women, power, sexuality, um, the spiritualness of it. Um, It was already there. Um, The, that life coach that I, met who was also a healer i went on after that to be her assistant for the next five years 
So that was more on a part-time, but no one, no one in my life, I don't think really even knew. Uh, it was just something that I did, you know, for her workshops and her retreats, I was always there. And it, it didn't happen right away too, because I was, I had a full schedule of what I was doing in my life. So over time, uh, eventually I learned healing and then I trained as a holistic coach. Um, and then I took training as a facilitator. I was also trained as a teacher. Um, I just kept venturing into that area. It's almost like I, you know, subconsciously I knew I wanted to do that, but I just wasn't consciously stepping in just yet. So I was building and building and building on the side and behind the whole time. I notice in my own coaching that what I do is not limited to what I learned in the course right? Like all of the other things that I read and listen to the people that I follow, my own experience, my own intuition totally feeds into that. So I'm just wondering how, how your experience with acting and writing feeds into coaching for you. Absolutely. Um, the writing, I think it's that understanding people, understanding emotions, um, understanding that anything's possible, that openness, and with the acting and the emotions, again, human beings and what makes them tick. And, you know, that universal language of Shakespeare, of what we confront in our lives, our jealousies, our hurt, our anger, you know, it's, it's, they're all the same stories. And from being an actor, it's that observation, that deep observation. And uh, the, the largest part for me of acting is listening. As an actor, when you're working with another actor, it's that listening, the subtleties, the tone. And so that I bring to the coaching. I'm listening on like five different ways, you know, of I'm listening to the energy, I'm listening to the tone. I'm looking to see cues, like physical cues, how someone moves. Um, there's so much there that I'm listening to. Then you add the intuition and I have a bit of an X-ray. Um, of what people are saying, they're saying one thing and the hidden emotion is that, and I already know what it is. I know what they're hiding. So then I can just ask a few questions that can take us down the elevator just to go right for it. Cause I already know what it is, but I don't wanna, I'm not gonna say it. I'm just gonna take us down the elevator together and then let them discover it. Cause it is there and they do know it's just being a little bit hidden. Mm -hmm. So we're just gonna gently take a little ride towards it. Oh, that's so interesting. Because again, like we were saying before, you know, sometimes your friends know you better than you do. They've, they've picked up on your stuff, whether they've told you or not, which if you knew would probably freak you right out. But, you know, I think that's why there are definitely people in my life that I feel like have been almost direct mirrors, you know, you interact with them and you feel like, wow, this is this is something that I'm noticing because I didn't realize I had this before, but I see it so clearly for you that there's got to be a reason that I can see it that clearly, you know, or you're doing a thing that I really, really, really would love to do. And being around you is putting me in touch with that fact. And even if you don't do anything to encourage me or push me in a particular direction, just being around you is more likely to make me want to move in that direction. It's, it's fascinating how, how we pick up on those things 
sometimes consciously, sometimes not as consciously, and and they take us to interesting places. That's especially fascinating with with you being able to figure it out and then lead someone there. Sometimes I can kind of see it, but you know, I'm more testing. Hmm. I'm not sure how I knew this or what makes me think this, but tell me what you think about it. Yeah. 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 Which is great. Right. It's just taking it in different directions, figuring it out, shining the light. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. Because I find with my close friends that they all do come to me when they're like, when they're up against something, you know, when your face is against the glass and you're just like, Oh, I can't figure this out. And so then I just talk through it and I'll say, well, this is what you're saying. And this is what I'm hearing. They're like, yeah, that's it. I'm like, okay. (laughs) That's the other interesting thing though, too. And you notice how often, like, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, I had this happen, you know, where somebody was like, I'm taking this class and I just don't seem to be able to, to, you know, get into it quite as well as what the teacher wants me to do. And, you know, and I can't remember exactly what she said anymore, but she mentioned playing with something. And I thought, I think you just answered your own question, but you didn't hear what you said. You know, and I I said that, I was like, is it possible you just need to let yourself play a little bit more? And it just lit everything up. And it's, it is, it's, you know, I think we don't think about the stuff that we say, which is why you need that mirror every once in a while, whether it's a friend or a coach or a therapist or, you know, whoever to say, you realize you've just used this word 10 times in the last five minutes. Do you think maybe that means something? Absolutely. Absolutely. Having a mirror, having someone reflect back, because especially if we're in an emotional state about something, Mm. we might be just spewing something out and talking it out, but not being cognizant of the words, which is, understandable if we're emotional about something um and having that person to reflect back and say this is what i'm hearing hmm interesting yeah i wonder now how hermits survive now that we're talking about (laughs) of course i guess if they're on their own they don't have to worry about dealing with other people maybe it doesn't matter yeah i also don't really understand it completely i mean i understand it i guess in a sense of someone being uh and it may not even be true, but I would think of someone being really hurt mm. that they'd want to be alone um, because uh, we're, we're social beings. We want to interact. We want to be with other people. So I, you know, for me, it doesn't seem like a choice. Right. <laughs> like that I would say that I would make, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of Brene Brown constantly saying we're wired for connection. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah. I agree. What does happen when you spend too much time away from people? I think we're in the largest experiment about that ever in the last year and a half. (laughs) Absolutely. And it's pretty incredible that we do have technology, at least to keep us in contact. Because imagine without, like we didn't have this technology. We didn't have the cell phones. We didn't have everything. I don't, that'd be a whole different way of being. Even if we didn't have, you know, Zoom and FaceTime, whatever, so we could see each other, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I have grown to appreciate the phone over the last year because too much screen time, but still yes. every once in a while, you do need to see another human and their entire Absolutely. face, not just their eyes. <laughs> 
Yes, absolutely. There's something about it. I know for me at the beginning of the pandemic, um, I was on Zoom too much. Mm -hmm. So many different gatherings. Let's all do yoga together. Let's have a brunch together. Let's, you know. Um, but at the same point, I think there was something very comforting in seeing humans and talking. And, you know, even though they were in the same room, there was something comforting about it. Yeah. And now that we're so used to it, I think, you know, there's lots of conversation going on about who's ready to go back out and who's not and why. I, I think it's going to be a process for a lot of us. I think so, too. I think so, especially this length of time. Mm -hmm. And it'll be interesting to see what we keep and what we don't. Yeah. And it's interesting because I know even speaking to friends who work in offices and some of them are dying to get back to the office. They miss the people. They miss the office going somewhere else. Then there's others who are like, oh, I could work at home all the time. This is great. So it's interesting. It's very interesting. Well, we are pretty much out of time, but I have really enjoyed this conversation. I especially, you know, digging into all of the things that we say to each other without, with or without thought. Very fascinating. But I, I also appreciate you giving us a springboard from which to appreciate people like actors a whole lot more than we might already. That's it for this week. My thanks to Catherine Malik for joining me. If you enjoyed our conversation, please do leave a review for this episode at the super easy link in the show notes. It makes a bigger difference than you probably realize. Thanks. You can find show notes, the six creative beliefs that are screwing you up, and more at fycuriosity.com. I'd also love for you to join the conversation on Instagram. You'll find me at fycuriosity. Follow Your Curiosity is produced by me, Nancy Norbeck, with music by Joseph McDade. If you like Follow Your Curiosity, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. It really helps me reach new listeners. See you next time.